We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We have merch. Check out the AmericanGlutton.net shop. We've got T-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. A number of people have come up to me wearing American Glutton merch, and nothing fills my heart with more pride than seeing somebody in one of these T-shirts. And I've been stopped on the street and asked where to get it when somebody sees me in an American Glutton hoodie. Well, you can get it all at the shop on AmericanGlutton.net. And my favorite t-shirt, yesterday it was tomorrow, right now, is up now. Get it while supplies last. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today we have returning guest, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. He is a lipid specialist and the newly crowned medical director at Weight Watchers. I wanted to ask him a lot of questions about all the new peptides and what they did to your body and who they were intended for, and he answered all of them. Please enjoy. Dr. Nadolsky, welcome back to the American Glutton Podcast. And let me say congratulations on being the first ever medical director at Weight Watchers. Yeah, I feel like I'm a co-host now. (laughs) You are like this is this is so. And by the way, I feel like with that title, I have elevated myself just by association. (laughs) A rising tide floats all boats, right? Is that that I mean, I think so. This is exciting. That's awesome, dude. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a bit of fun. It's a fun journey. So I feel like we talk all the time, but it's been a little bit since we chatted last. Yeah. I think about maybe I, like lifting weights and how exercise is medicine type of thing. And then, uh, right. oh, and, and 
and whether obesity is a choice that and then in between there this whole thing happened so uh, well yeah but also i remember i i remember first hearing about some of the uh kind of medical breakthrough in pharmacology for weight loss from you yeah and this this was prior to the explosion prior to like ozempic being omnipresent in the conversation of weight yeah. loss before the songs in in the hollywood <laughs> yeah getting, before getting any of those of people got their hands on it and started this wave um you brought it up and you know i gotta say when i heard about it i was kind of like freaked out and i've i was freaked out for a while by it and then yeah. You know, and even still, it's weird because because Ozempic is the omnipresent word, but the drug is semaglutide or semaglutide. Yeah, yeah, right. So it was okay. So yes, Ozempic is the brand name for the the type two diabetes approved version of semaglutide, semaglutide. However, people want to pronounce. I always say semaglutide. Maybe it's my Midwestern uh, <laughs> accent. I don't even know. But um, but Wegovy is technically the brand name made for weight management or obesity. But they're the same, the same peptide molecule. The so, same um, peptide molecule. And then, and then there's other ones. There's other peptides. And then yeah. I read an article recently where it was like semaglutide attacks one receptor. This other thing attacks two receptors. Then there was a recent conference where they're like, now we have something that attacks three receptors. It's just yeah. not FDA approved yet. And we're yep. working on it. The future, the future is, is going to be really interesting with these new biological uh, methods of, of obesity drugs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We can get all into it. Whatever you want to know. I want, I want, I want to get into it. I want to run my theory and my concerns by you. Let's hear it. Let's hear it all. So. I think that this is fucking incredible for someone like if if I had not kind of figured out a structure that worked for me and this stuff had appeared six years ago, I'm in. I'm mm -hmm. I'm going like, OK, I'm a lifelong adherent to this because I've not had success keeping weight off and I'm going to try this. And I tried most everything else. Yeah. And so I would definitely try this and and hope to God it worked for me. I today don't need that. And so my concern becomes this. I've talked to a few people who had issues like mine who are like, I'm taking Ozempic. And again, I think they were probably taking Wigovi, but they said Ozempic. Could be. They could be. They, they could have gotten it off label. That's true. right. They're taking this stuff and they're like, I'm really... I'm I'm really happy with it. And those are people who I believe will take it forever. And yeah. I understand that. And then the only experience I've had where I actually was physically in contact with somebody who told me they were taking it was somebody who for many years was um, one of these people that was very concerned that everything they put into their body must be organic and wouldn't eat seed oils and was constantly doing different fad type diets in order to lose a little bit of weight and and was roller coastering on that. You just described on. everybody in Hollywood. <laughs> right. This person that happened to live in Hollywood. And then we were around each other and I and I knew and I don't want to out this person at all because I, no. I care i care about you just yeah, it's it's very general because i i, I could okay. imagine it could be anybody based yes. on what you just described and so they're taking 
they said they also said Ozempic, although I yeah. suspect it was Wigovi. Um, and they got it through a weight loss clinic in five week increments, which already from what I've read, you need six to eight weeks for it to even like load into your body. I don't know that that's true, but I we didn't get into that. that. It's I'll be interested. There are compounded versions. We'll we'll get into some of that. Okay. Uh, as well. The the thing I observed by being around this person was that they were eating everything in sight, and mm. and not to excess. However, this person who prior to this on many iterations of their diet was like gluten's bad, grains are bad is now eating pizza, going for ice cream. And so my initial reaction to this for the majority of people who do fad diets is this will, and I also believe fad diets have um, increased obesity when you go super low calorie and then you stop the fad diet and you gain more weight and this becomes this yo-yo cycle. My perception of this person doing it and my fear of all the people that do fad diets that there is that they're going to throw away their responsibility because they're putting all their responsibility into this drug and then have over time net more weight to lose. Did this person have clinical obesity? Like, no, or it was just kind of like, OK, so that's that's probably the number one issue is that these drugs need to be reserved for those with, and instead of just saying obesity, we're saying clinical obesity. The reason for that is because like, what determines whether obesity is harmful or a disease or, or anything like that? Is it at what point a body fat percentage of, Oh, now it's a disease. Oh, now it's not. Cause you're a little bit less. That doesn't even make any sense. So it's, it's the point at, you know, we got to look at how much harm is, is developing from this adipose tissue and where it's stored, all these different things. So you see a lot of these people who have what I wouldn't say clinical obesity. They just want to lose what I'd call vanity weight. Right. And this is, this is where the, the drug hasn't been studied in these individuals. It might be, it, it might be okay. It might be safe, but like it hasn't been studied. I wouldn't recommend it. The drugs hard to come by. They're expensive. We don't want to bloat insurances and then cause more healthcare dollars to, to be wasted on people who would get little benefit other than vanity weight loss versus those who have a much higher risk of, of issues from their clinical obesity, like heart disease, uh, you know, kidney disease, kidney failure, all these different things, the, the real end stage things. Those are the people we want to concentrate on. So when people start taking it for vanity weight loss, and I know it's big in Hollywood, hasn't been studied. Are these people going to take this long term? Like, or are they just going to use this and yo-yo the same way they did with fad diets? Right. In those, like in my clinical experience, this has to be studied, by the way, for anybody listening. The, when I say my clinical experience, I'm talking about anecdotes, what I see. And you have to be very careful with that because people that come to see me specifically or come to my clinic, my program, they may think a certain way and may be geared towards a certain way. So in my experience, those with clinical obesity, they've been trying diet and exercise for so long, they know what to do. They just simply can't do it and they need a tool to help them. What what people are worried about and what I think you're worried about is what you're saying is that they're going to just take the drug to lose weight and they'll just eat whatever they want in just smaller quantities. And maybe 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 it's still a a, a positive gain. It's, it's very possible that like just the calorie deficit 
just from the drug and the benefits from the GLP receptor. And we can talk all about that. Maybe on overall positive, it's pos- It's very possible. But in my heart, I truly believe that the quality and your dietary patterns, non-scale, not beyond the calorie deficit. If it only, if, if, if everything only mattered basically on a calorie deficit and energy balance just by itself and no quality of diet, dietary patterns and anything else, then probably the drugs uh, is just, everybody should just take this drug, but I don't, I don't <laughs> believe that. And so the, the worry is, is that. The but, non- but also when you say everybody should take this drug, don't, when you stop taking it, yeah. if you're, if you're accustomed to eating pizza three times a day and yeah. you're taking a drug because it makes you full off half a slice of pizza, very likely you, you'll regain the weight. You stop taking it. And now you're like, well, I eat three p- p- pizza three times a day. And now I need a half a pizza or a whole pizza to get full. Yeah. So again, that that's that's why it shouldn't be used in these individuals. It hasn't been studied that way. I do believe, I mean, we have a lot of data showing dietary patterns do matter beyond energy balance, beyond body composition. So it, it, the, the Hollywood folks, and it's, it's not just Hollywood, it's a, it's a lot of people just want to take this drug because of vanity reasons. So that's the reason it needs to be, it needs to be prescribed in the, in the clinically indicated correct person, the person with clinical obesity or type two diabetes, mind you, or it's, it's also approved uh, with a different brand name. So that's, and, and yes, you, you have to th- go on it thinking you're probably going to be on this long-term likely, although I, we can get into that because I do have patients that come off of it, not necessarily because they wanted to, because insurances are changing, uh, shortages we're seeing. Um, and then some people do want to, they want to see if they can wean off of it. We can go all into that if you want to, but, um, I I agree with you. I don't think it should be used for vanity weight loss. It should not. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, look, I even saw a post Dr. Mike made and he was like, this stuff is great for a cut. It makes it so much easier. And, and I, and my, you know, I understand his perspective. Like the guys on a diet half the year, and this makes that easier from my perspective, where it's like, I'm communicating with people who are having difficulty dieting. Mike, you're an expert and you have no difficulty. You're successful at every diet you do. There's no problem with you dieting. So, okay, if you do something that makes it easier, but for the folks who want to lose 20 pounds and are having a hard time, if they're going to do this for three or six months and then come off of it, are they and not change anything are they going to have success like cocaine was also great at numbing out the nasal cavity is that the primary function of cocaine no people suck it up because it feels good yeah it's funny i i I only experienced that once not using cocaine mind you anybody listening uh in uh, residency we had a person with a nosebleed and my uh, attending doctor at the time was like we're going to use, we're going to go get some cocaine. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, it's a pharmaceutical drug. We went to the pharmacy and we did. Anyway, that was so, it was so interesting to me. I was like, I didn't think, I was like this, I didn't think this was something we did anyway. Yeah. So you're you're right though. Like we dietary patterns matter. These drugs are meant to be, the way they've been studied is, is to treat a chronic disease in obesity and type two diabetes hasn't been studied in in uh, for vanity weight loss or short periods of time. That's not how they're meant to be taken. We don't know what happens. It, it's so my here's my hypothesis of, about how these drugs work, and I post about this all the time. These drugs facilitate behavior change. They should. Having said that, it doesn't mean that people out there won't 
quote unquote, abuse it. Right. Meaning, all right, I just need to lose some weight. I'm going to go get this drug. However, from my experience, the people that come to me who've been struggling with their clinical obesity for so long, that's not how they view it. They view it as like, I need, I know what I need to do. I just, I'm, my body's fighting me hard. Give me a tool to make it easier to do it. That's what I see again. But I, I do, you know, there's, I, you see, you see Reddit posts, you see all sorts of posts about uh, things like that out there. And obviously you're seeing it too. Yeah. Um, in, in your realm. And, and I thoroughly understand that. Like. I was that for 15 years or even more, you know, my whole childhood yeah. had this been around. I, it was, you know, my childhood I struggled against because a lot of it was being imposed on me and I wasn't really a participant. But once I became interested, it's a fucking grind, dude. Like, and that just makes sense. Like I understand knowing what to do and not being capable of doing it or getting a little bit of time under my belt doing it and then being so exhausted by the effort to do it that it's like the rest of my life falls apart and then because of that i'm like what's where's the balance here it's not worth it i'm not doing this anymore yeah you're but fighting it, hard right that, you're you, fighting hard you're fighting and, hard and you know kind of like the reason that the way i finally figured out dieting worked for me is it was such a mild deficit that it didn't spin my life into a tailspin and then maintenance really allowed me to chill out and like come to a, a point of sanity again where i'm not just having food dreams every night and like allowing it to take time but but you know, I understand if a person's not even putting that together for themselves, if that is too much trouble, I get it. I get this drug, you know. Yeah. So think like I'm sure you've experienced this. We call it food noise. That's kind of how people describe it. This unrelenting, ruthless uh, thought about food. When are you going to eat next? You just ate. You're pretty full. But when when is your next meal? Can you have more dessert? Can you have another serving? Uh, you've described this before in, our, in the podcast that we've done. Yeah. Some of this is, you know, habituary, behavioral. A lot of it is also biological. So with you figuring out how to get into maintenance and just be okay there, you're obviously giving yourself enough energy to to tell your brain to to calm to calm down. Other other people describe this they're, they're at a maintenance level and they just describe the constant food noise of just like when am I going to eat next? I, I want dessert. I, I shouldn't because I'm full. I, sh I shouldn't want another uh, helping of whatever I just ate. I just ate a huge thing of vegetables and lean protein and whatever else. And they just, they can't stop thinking about food. The the drug, they, and they didn't even notice this until they start the medicine. And I, I know you saw the clip that I did with Bill Maher and uh, Joe Rogan. Bill Maher made a comment about scientists don't even know how this drug works right it's like well that that's not true it's not like we just take this medicine and people poof just start losing weight they're they do these very the bench research where they look at mice and then they look at uh, all sorts of things and then they study in humans obviously but they see the receptors of where these uh drugs hit the glp1 receptor so glucagon like peptide one it, it's got a very interesting story it basically it's an incretin so these hormones come from our, our intestine, but they didn't know that back in the 50s or so, they injected glucose in the veins and they made people drink sugar, glucose. And intuitively, I would think that your insulin would go higher with injecting it, it gets straight into your blood, goes straight to your pancreas. But they found that the insulin goes higher when you drink it. Really? And yeah. So they called it 
the incretin effect, the intestinal secretion of insulin, incretin. And it wasn't until the, the 80s or so, late 80s, where they found out specifically the types of incretins, one of them being GLP-1. Okay, so wait, I, I'm sorry. I just want to go back for one second. Yeah. So in order to uptake the sugar, is the, it, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. In, in order for the sugar to get into the cells, you require insulin, and that yeah. insulin is produced when the sugar passes through your digestive tract if well you- it, it it still it, it gets it gets sensed by your pancreas in in the blood the 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 difference with drinking it is that there is something about the they just called it the incretin effect they didn't know there was something going on to where they drank it and their insulin was going higher right so there's something about ingesting it drinking it versus just putting it straight into your blood you still had an you have an insulin response putting it into your blood because your, your pancreas does still sense the glucose, but there was something about drinking it, something in your intestines that made your insulin go even higher. And that's what they called this incretin okay. or intestinal secretion of insulin. They didn't know. And then they didn't find out to it. Oh, there are these hormones that are released by the intestines. And it, it's just a, a fascinating story because like this, this, they didn't know that this, this hormone uh, from our gut uh, existed till the eighties. And then they found ways, this whole thing, there's a Gila, these Gila monsters, these little lizards, they found that it was similar to our own GLP one. And then there's this whole story of big pharma finally figuring out, it took them a while. There's some really cool YouTube videos about the scientists involved, involved with this. It was fascinating to watch. Uh, Cause I was only in med school, right? When the first one uh, was basically come out, came out called Bietta exenatide that was based off of the this gila monster this little lizard uh saliva and they they developed the drug out of its saliva they they yeah they were like what this guy john Eng, and this was a really cool story but basically they're like people are getting pancreatitis when this um the Gila monster bites people, this venomous stuff. And then they found, oh yeah, there's something in the saliva. And then it was like, oh, wow, it looks like uh, GLP-1, similar to our own our own endogenous or human-based GLP-1. The problem with their own human GLP-1, it gets broken down within minutes. Right. They needed to find a way to make it last a little bit longer in the body. And through the years though, you know, the first they had this Gila monster saliva and 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 started making it uh, based off of that. And then through the years, they found ways to ch- ch- change the peptide to where our bodies don't break it down as easily. So first it was this biata or exenatide, twice a day injection. And it was you know decently effective, but twice a day injection, eh, you're already taking insulin maybe a few times a day, but it's a non-insulin, actually helps people lose weight as opposed to gain weight with insulin. Then they found then they found a way to make it once a day. This is liraglutide. Uh, the first one is called Victoza. That was Novo Nordisk. That's the one you probably people hear. Um, but that was that was Victoza. Then they then they modulated it a little bit more and they found a way to make it a week long. There was something called Trulicity or Dulaglutide, and then they made the exenatide a, a week long. It's called Bidurian. Not not that great, but it, it was okay. At the I remember time. hearing about Trulicity. They had a good yeah. marketing campaign. Yeah, so Trulicity is one that was, it was pretty good. Once, you know, it's a week long injection. But this was all towards type two diabetes. It was to, it was towards type two diabetes. So 2005, 2006, Bietta comes out, whatever it was. Uh, a few years later, Victoza, Liraglutide, the once a day comes out. Then a few years later, uh, this Trulicity, Dulaglutide uh, comes out. 
Saxenda, though, which is liraglutide, the same as Victoza, they studied it for specifically obesity. Now, now people are sitting here going like, these GLP-1s, they're they're lowering blood sugar. Wouldn't it hurt people in those without type 2 diabetes and make their blood sugars go too low? It's it's called glucose-dependent, meaning your glucose has to be high in order to make this drug lower your blood sugar. So if you have normal blood sugars, it shouldn't lower it anymore. It's glucose dependent as opposed to independent where it's just making it lower regardless. Like if you took insulin, right, your blood sugars go low. This will only make your blood sugars go low once it hits higher thresholds. Pretty cool. So they developed liraglutide into a higher dose. So Victoza, for anybody listening, liraglutide, that was made for type 2 diabetes. I think it was 2009, if I remember incorrectly, for type 2 diabetes. They cranked up the dose to 3 milligrams and it was like 2014 ish when they uh, released Saxendo, just the same molecule, just higher dose. That one was made for specifically obesity. And that was the first GLP-1 drug made for weight management or obesity, 2014. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It's a once a day injection. You get around eight or so percent total body weight loss. Now, for some people, you know, listening, if you're, let's say you're 200 pounds, 10% of your weight is 20 pounds, you know, 8% or so is 16 pounds. Doesn't sound that great, but like, Hey, if it can keep that weight off and people start getting health benefits around that five or so percent total body weight loss, then maybe it is worth it. And isn't that, isn't that a big thing? Like 5% weight loss is a 5% a boom to health. The the biggest, the big jump is when you hit 10% because that's where you start seeing real differences in liver fat, sleep apnea, those types of changes. 10% is a big, the big jump. 5% is where you, you see blood sugar improvements, blood pressure, uh, triglyceride improvements, some knee pain, maybe improvement, but 10%. Now we're starting to talk about all sorts of extra, like not just like metabolic changes, but like weight, just having too much weight. So this is where it gets cool because then Novo Nordisk, you know, they had sex under earlier glutide. Then they found a, they found this new one called semaglutide, semaglutide. What is it, 2016 or 17? It came out as Ozempic. It wasn't big back then. It was made for type 2 diabetes. People weren't taking this for weight loss, but like those in the I obesity. I didn't hear about it no, back then. No, nobody heard about this. But in the, in the obesity community, we're all like, ooh, because we knew it was being studied for obesity at the same time. And this stuff is obviously, I mean, you hear about it all the time. Ozempic is powerful, but it only went up to one milligram at the time. Still pretty good though. Eventually 2021, so f- like four years later, they cranked the dose up from, you know, instead of one milligram, it's 2.4 milligrams. And this is where the big trial came out. And this is where everybody started going pretty crazy about it. 2021. We go V semaglutide 2.4 milligrams around a 15% or so average total body weight loss. So Saxenda, wow. you know, seven or eight percent or whatever it was, we, we we pretty much doubled it. And so you get around that, you know, that 10%, you start getting more, but 15% average. And then and you can even look at the res- like something called the responses. Some people are getting 20, 25, even 30. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 30%, you know, individuals. And there are people that don't, don't respond, by the way. So I don't want to say it's a miracle for everyone. There are some people who are like, I didn't lose a pound on this stuff. There are people that don't respond, but like on average 15%. So we're starting to see like, hey, this is, this is, they call it a game changer. You know, like this is changing the game. There is this gap between, you know, these older drugs that we have and, and diet and exercise. So diet and exercise on average, when you look at a total population, obviously you're, you're in the minority. You lost how much, I, I can never remember how much weight. Nearly seen. 300 pounds, 280, 285. Okay. And, and, and so you've lost, I don't know how much percent of your body weight over, over the time and have kept 50%. it off for now. So 50% over the course of however many years now, four years, whatever. Uh, No, I didn't weigh that much four or five years ago. This is over the course of 20 years. I I weighed 550 22 22 years ago. Okay. So, but I went from 400 plus pounds to 270 pounds in the last. So that's only 130 pounds. Only a hundred. It's over 30% of, right. right. If I'm trying to do this quickly in my head, but that's, that's like, you don't hear about like, so average diet and exercise, somewhere around six to 7%, like over the course of a year and over each year that, that starts dropping a total average body weight loss. So we're talking about a drug that triples like diet and exercise and, and, and they're keeping it off over the course of a year. And then over, they have another study that shows even over the course of two years, they've kept the pretty much the same amount off. Big time difference. We're, we're, and where you see at the higher end, you see bariatric surgery. It's, you know, 25, 30% or a little bit more. So now we have this drug in the middle. That's like, holy cow, we finally have a drug. That's like either diet and exercise, take some of these older drugs, or you go ahead and get bariatric surgery. Now we have drugs that are like, oh no, no, we're, we're starting to bridge that gap in between this and in, in between these two. So it's, it was a big game changer. And then, you know, this new drug, Manjaro, this is the one you're talking about where it hits two different uh, um, receptors, GLP-1 and something called GIP. It's it's another incretin that's in our body. That drug gets around 21. And now maybe if you even take it longer, maybe more up to like 25% total body weight loss on average. So, I mean, just incredible drugs. I, I, before I go further, people are probably listening going, this guy is a big pharma shill. <laughs> well, you're a paid. doctor. Nobody's paying. All right, well, I hope. No, well, no. So no, this, I think it's important because there are people 
and I'm not going to name names. There are people out there that get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for consulting and doing all sorts of stuff for big pharma. I don't take a, I don't take any money. You can look it up. It looks like maybe every other year I get like 30 bucks because I go out for a, a lunch and, and talk with like the medical liaisons about like some of the new studies coming out. But like, I don't take med- money on purpose. I've been offered because once I start taking money, it, it's like, this guy's a shill. I'm not listening to him. So I think it's important important to know. I, I, I love these drugs, but at the same time, I don't, I don't take money because I, I don't want that to get my opinion to be tainted by, by that. So I'll just throw that out there. Well, okay. I mean, listen, in your defense, you never seemed like a shill to me. I, I, you're a lipid specialist. You are a weight loss doctor, right? Yeah. That's what you've been the entire time I've known you and I've been for quite a few years or a bunch of years. And so like my perception of you is like, I could picture you in your practice working for many years with maybe the the kind of shittier drugs you have at your disposal, but like you've, you've always preached like moderation diet, the benefits of exercise. And I haven't heard you stop doing that, but I, and and I want to ask you anecdotally in your practice, are the people you're seeing having the best results? employing both methods yes so this is this is the big deal so like the drug if you put someone on intensive behavioral therapy versus just someone who just takes the drug and gets kind of some behavioral therapy the the average weight loss actually ends up being similar now before people say like well then what's the point there's a difference in shape and you know this because you sent me your pictures and we've talked about this before where you just I don't know what you're eating when you did all the biking and all this stuff. I can't remember the way you were eating back then, but I was eating only foods I could eat while riding the bike. <laughs> That's an amazing diet. Yeah. There's a there's a difference in quality and, and this has to be studied. I want to make sure everybody knows this because otherwise they're just going to be like you're just, this guy's just making up stuff without data. This has to be studied, but again, you asked me what in my clinical experience there's a difference in how people function and how their their shape is and what they're eating when they really just use the drug as a facilitator for behavior change. Opposite of what you said in the beginning of the podcast, where people are just taking this and eating whatever they want. When people use the drug to just, they know they want to exercise, but they're in pain and they're they, they're in pain because they have too much weight. And then also because there's a lot of what they call this food noise, that the food noise clouds their whole brain and thinking into like all they think about is food. They don't have time to even exercise because they're thinking about food. And if they do exercise, they get frustrated because they're not losing weight from the exercise because exercise isn't amazing for weight loss by itself. So my experience is that these patients, they're like, I want to get into weightlifting. I want to get into exercise. I want to start eating more vegetables and lean proteins and things like that. I just need, I need something to basically shut this noise out in my head. We have to do studies. We have to do body composition studies. We have to look at the quality of, of diet. We, and there's ways to do that with rigorous questionnaires and all sorts of stuff to go like, is this person really eating better? Or are they just eating whatever they want and still losing weight? And then we, you know, cardiorespiratory fitness, strength, all these different other non-scale markers. If you just look at, if you look at the scale, you're not going to see a huge difference. They've done these studies in the past. I think we need to look at different outcomes. Well, like, um, okay. And, well, yeah. When you, when you think about Peter Tia's anecdotal evidence or anecdotal stories on this, and he talks about how they gained body fat percentage. I understand that because that's like, if you have somebody that just goes super low calorie and isn't, uh, you know, prioritizing protein, isn't getting any resistance training, you can do that. You can lose 40% muscle mass while you're losing fat and wind up with that kind of shift where you lose 20, 30 pounds and your body fat 
percentage increases. If you take this and you prioritize protein and you prioritize resistance training, I would think you would mitigate that to some degree. I think you're always at risk of losing some lean tissue, but you would, yeah. you would lessen it. Yeah. So it was really interesting. He, he went on the Megan Kelly show to, I believe it was Megan Kelly. It was something on late TV and I got sent this a bunch of times and I was like, oh, come on, please don't use this anecdote because like if I took the drug, me specifically, and zero fact to lose. Yeah. Like if I took the drug, I could, Im I could imagine me withering. I, I could just imagine it because I, I have to try hard. Like people are listening going, I'm trying to lose weight. This guy's trying to maintain his weight. My body, and this gets into the genetics. My body wants to be thinner. I have to eat. Like if I'm not careful and if, if I start doing less volume and if I start just doing what my body naturally wants, which is to eat a lot less, I notice a body composition shift that's unfavorable. So this has to be this medicine has to be used. This goes back to using in the correctly indicated, clinically indicated clinical obesity patient who has more benefit than risk of taking it. If you use it for vanity weight loss and then you, you, you get away from those things that you, that are important, like resistance training, I, yeah, I could imagine an unfavorable shift. When they look at it in those with clinical obesity, when you have more weight to lose, more fat to lose, more adipose, a ton of adipose, you could starve yourself and you're going to lose mostly adipose. That's just how it works. The leaner you are, the more muscle you'll lose when going into a calorie deficit. So, no matter what. Yeah. So yeah. So I like, I don't, I, I hate the heck when he, when he said that on, I was like, man, I could find anecdotes of like, you know, cause he's a big statin guy. I'm a, I believe strongly in statins, but I like, I have anecdotes of people going on statins and having all sorts of issues, but we don't talk about those cause they're anecdotes. And then when you look at the aggregate of data, they're overall very beneficial. Anyway, that's an aside. It's just, well, no, but the thing I was frustrated with his story simply because Where'd the person start? What was yeah. their weight? If they Nobody weighed, knows. if they weighed 350, 400 pounds and lost 30 pounds and somehow gained body fat percentage, I would possible. be shocked. Right. It's not possible. If they weighed 200 pounds and lost 20 pounds, maybe we're in the universe where yeah. like, okay, I get it. They, yeah. if they, if they didn't prioritize protein, but he didn't tell us that. No. And so it was kind of like, I'm in my head doing math and picturing yeah. different <laughs> body types and going, who, who was doing it? What did yes. the person look like? It's, it's very important to, 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 prescribe these medicines to the correct patient. That's that's exactly what I keep saying. Don't pre I see these doctors out there you know giving it to their patients for vanity weight loss purposes. I'm like, "Please don't do that. We're supposed to be doing no harm. We don't know what it's we don't know the studies in in lean leaner individuals where, you know, they, they just need to they just want to lose some weight to fit into whatever clothes, pants or anything else. I, I don't know. So yeah, I, I don't know that patient, but like I will say they've done studies uh, they use subgroup analysis. So the big, huge step one trial, that was the one first one that came out for Wegovy, the semaglutide 2.4 milligrams. They do these subgroup analyses and they did DEXs on like a hundred of these individuals. And they did have a higher 30, like 38% was lean mass loss. And that is higher than what we usually expect somewhere in the 20 to 30 range. That's usually what you expect. So 38%. Now, the thing is I had a guy, Grant Tinsley in here. I'm not a DEXA expert, but I know, you know how to do body composition. Lean mass loss doesn't necessarily mean muscle loss. No, it could be it water too. could be fluid. Yeah. So what I've noticed, and this is really interesting. So a lot of my patients, 
the thing is, again, this is anecdotal. I also, people coming to me are interested in strength training and the people that go and get body composition done, they're probably more into their body composition than people that don't get their body. This is the reason why we need to do what's called a randomized controlled trial where everybody gets it no matter what. And then we give them an experiment to see if it actually, if there are changes, but let's, let's just go with my clinical experience. People that get their body composition done, they're very interested in it. Some lose in that 25% to 30% range of lean mass it shows, but they're stronger. And so, and they, they're like, no, I've never seen shape in my arms before and all these different things. So I'm like, okay, they need, we need to do studies. And this is where I'm trying to do, uh, trying to develop some of these studies in the background. We need to get some of these true body composition experts and they got to measure actual muscle, not just lean body mass loss. Cause you don't know what the lean lean masses. I don't, it could just be fluid. I don't know what's going on. They, they did do these the same subgroup analysis. So that was semaglutide, semaglutide upper 30% lean mass loss, which is like, Oh, what's going on? They did the same thing in terzepatide. That's the new one, Manjaro. Who knows what they're going to call the obesity version of it. It's, it's not approved for obesity yet, but people are using it because it's been studied and they're using it off label. This drug again, gets 21, 25% on average total body weight loss. Their lean mass loss in the subgroup analyses was more like the low twenties. So a, a drug that's more powerful in t- total overall weight loss had less lean mass loss. I don't know. I can't, there need there need to be randomized trials going like, okay, did they actually look at the muscle? Did they, you know? There, there's there's all sorts of things there. So I'm not convinced there's anything about these drugs that are specifically catabolic. I think I think it's possible that people aren't even drinking. Like it's possible there are fluid shift. People people sometimes get side effects, and we should talk about side effects because they're like. You're talking about the benefits all the time. You farm a shill. I'm like, I don't take money, but I, I, we should talk about some of the side effects and those things in a second, because like, I think it's important to know that drugs that have good effects can also have unwanted effects. What people well, yeah, usually but we could get effects. into the, we could get into statin side effects too. It yeah. would make you dislike them. Correct. So this drug is this newer drug, terzepatide, hits two receptors. Whether it has anything to do with this GIP or not, it's a big debate. There's lots of papers on it. They're looking at to, it could be just a more powerful GLP-1 the component. It could be the GIP helps the GLP-1. It doesn't really matter. This new drug, terzepatide, more weight loss on average and seems to be less lean mass loss. I don't think there's anything anabolic about the GIP or anything else about it. I think it's, I think it's the methodology. I could be wrong though. Could could totally be wrong on this, but there, despite more weight loss, there's less lean mass loss and around what we'd expect the lower to mid 20%. But I th- what I'm seeing clinically is that those who prioritize protein, prioritize strength training, very minimal, minimal lean mass loss, somewhere in the 10 to at most 20%. Again, there was one person, there was a follower, not a patient, uh, sent me their decks. I'm like, oh, it was like a 30% lean mass loss. And they were so much stronger and had more shape in their body. So I'm like, I don't know, like, who cares if they're more functional and stronger at this point, then what's the, what's the difference? But yeah, I I love DEXA scans. I haven't had one in a while because they're, I'm, I moved and like, to a whole different state and like i don't have my I'm surprised you don't have a dex in your house well listen there was years ago a little office like a mile away from the gym i would go to and the guy was trying to sell his dexa machine for and you know i couldn't afford it what? to put it but i 40 grand or something like that probably i think it was 50 and me and nick yeah. cassavetes almost went split it we were literally talking about it but you could just pop into this guy's office and get a dexa scan that's you awesome know, for 50 bucks yeah. and i try i did all kinds of stuff like i did a, a full-blown water cut and got a dexa scan 
And oh yeah, what'd you show? I would I'd love to hear about it. When I did that, my body fat percentage went up. Yeah, see, there you go. And when and I actually weighed less. Yeah. And and then like and it freaked me out to no end. Yes. And so when I was fully hydrated and weighed more, I had 222 pounds of lean tissue, and it there would go, go down to like 215 when I was uh, depleted of water. Very important. So everybody listening, that you just heard the the host of this talk about his experience with this. This is why anecdotes, you got to be careful. I don't, I don't know the methodology of how they did the, the semaglutide. Is it possible they were doing it not at the same time? You have to do it the same. It has to be very standardized. The other thing I will say, semaglutide may have more what we call side effects, uh, gastrointestinal side effects, maybe slightly more than terzepatide. It's, it's, we have to, again, do head-to-head trials and look at all this stuff. So imagine you're nauseous, you have a lot of nausea, and you don't drink as much or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> imagine yeah, no, imagine I, I something don't know. like that. I, I will say like over, because I did these for years. This guy couldn't move his DEXA skin for years. And I noticed before I got onto the program I'm on now, when I was doing keto, which has a lot of protein in it, and I was resistance training over a over like a year and a half period, I lost on average 40% lean tissue. Oh, that's interesting. Because the only way I could lose weight doing that anymore was to always be hungry. So I just yeah. w- wasn't eating a lot. That's, that's a weird thing. But like, yeah, I, I, I think these things are important over long periods and then you should make sure like if you're doing them at 8 a.m and you've had you know make sure you're drinking the same amount of water and you know all that stuff will play tricks on the yeah. machine. stay tuned we're, we're going to be doing these studies so i i really appreciate that i'm part of weight watchers now for anybody listening is i uh, start help start this program called sequence within about a year or so uh Weight Watchers acquired us. They have a whole scientific team and they're really into science. And I didn't even know much about it until they bought us. I was like, oh, these are like some of the biggest scientists in in the field. I didn't know that they're involved. And uh, we're we're looking into this. I'm like, okay, we need to look at body composition. We need to look at this and this. And we're going to start doing these. So stay tuned in the next year or so because we're going to be looking at this because I do think it's important. I don't want to just go, eh, it's nothing. No, I, I do think it's important to know. I do think that the things that we know that are helpful, resistance training, adequate protein are going to be important for mitigating this lean mass loss. I, I also think it's important we need to to not be so myopic to to look at just lean mass. We need to look at muscle. We need to look at function, the quality of the muscle, all sorts of different things. If you're getting stronger and you're in a better quality of life and all sorts of things, eh, if it's a little bit more <laughs> change on a DEXA, who cares? So we got to know why we're looking at certain things and, and what the outcome is. I have a question and, and I just, again, it would only be anecdotal and it's only based on me hearing this data and then observing exactly one person who I, who I was told was taking this stuff. You know, sometimes when I have a stomach ache, the last thing I want to eat is a chicken breast. Rice yeah. sounds good. Bread sounds good, you know, because it seems soothing. A banana seems soothing. Is it possible that whatever stomach distress comes with semaglutide could just steer you away from protein? Yeah. So that's it's great. God, that's you're it's great. You didn't even take the drug, but you intuitively are asking some of the questions we're asking. It needs to be studied. I'm so lucky to have like a team of amazing dietitians to where like they work with the patient closely to go like, okay. How much protein are you eating? Oh, you're not you're not eating much. Right. So I think I think there may be something to what you're saying. 
I don't know, this needs to be studied. They need to go like, okay, let's look at just like giving people the drug who are, it's clinically indicated, mind you. And let's just look at the quality of diet. Let's see what changes. Is it possible their percentage of protein actually goes down or are they, or, or what? And then if we can tell them, hey, let's find ways to make protein more appetizing to you. Because I do think, yeah, if you're not feeling so well, at least, so uh, let me get into the, some of the side effects. The nausea, this stuff happens at the beginning of when you take it. And every time you go up in the dose, not every time, some people tolerate it just fine. For most people, it's mild to moderate. Minority of time, it's moderate to severe. The last person, those people are the last. Those people are going to not want. Pro- I I don't want to, a chicken breast no. when I'm not feeling well. No. I want like easy to eat carbs. Yeah. So I think there's possibly something to that. It has to do with the digestion as well. Over time, the nausea should resolve. If it doesn't resolve, obviously your quality of life, I don't know, is it worth staying nauseous all the time despite less weight? So over time, most people, it will resolve. And the the cause of the weight loss isn't from the nausea. Over time, the satiety still stays while the nausea resolves. Now, having said that, there's you know, those beginning parts of weight loss are very important because if if you're losing weight mostly in the beginning, that's, and if you're not getting enough protein, it's because you're, and you're not feeling well enough, that, that those are crucial periods of time to where that's why we, our dietitians are great. They jump in when we have side effects uh, with patients, we'll be like, get in with this patient. They're losing weight too quickly. Let's not go up in their dose. Let's, let's settle things down and get them on track. So I do think there's something to that. And that the nausea is the most common side effect we see. So it's not just a free, it's not a free ticket or free lunch or whatever anybody wants to say. These drugs can have some nausea. Constipation we see sometimes too, pretty easy to resolve more water. Sometimes fiber uh, supplementation, try to get them walking a lot, uh, more fiber in their diet, obviously, fruits, lentils, whatever. Some people get diarrhea. It's it's not as common as the first two. Some people get reflux. Rarely we do see because people lose weight so quickly. There's you can get gallbladder disease. You develop gallstones based on the changing of the composition of your bile. So uh, that can start creating gallstones. There may be something with the drug changing the way the the gallbladder uh, functions, which may also increase the risk of gallstones. It's rare, but it's something that people should be aware of. But mo- most commonly is nausea, and it can be minimized with lifestyle changes how, how what people eat and then sometimes we have to give medicine to, to combat the, the nausea but it's also important why you got to have a clinician that just doesn't go like oh all right let's just keep cranking up your dose despite you wanting to vomit all the time that's probably not good practice so throwing that out there you know look i i think um you know i loved opiates i loved them Like I opiates gave me energy. They put a pep in my step. They gave me a personality. They made me feel confident. Like, like there was no part of taking opiates that ever had a negative thing. Most people I talk to get nauseous when they take opiates. So I I I get nauseous. Right. I think like with any drug, none of this shit is going to work exactly the same on everyone. I mean, you could even look at like sicknesses, COVID, I never got a, co- a cold at all. I I, yeah. I, could, I couldn't smell. That seems to be fairly frequent. And I felt like shit and I had, but like all, all of this stuff is going to affect people differently. The point yeah. is that with morbidly obese people, they have a, an average weight loss that that is helpful, that is beneficial. That's kind of the point. My concern, again, is less with those people than it is with like people I know in Hollywood who are going to use this drug to lose 10 or 15 pounds and then gain 20. That's yeah. my concern. 
Now, mine too. I, I strongly, and again, I strongly recommend those people think think about this differently. I think that's where that's where I'm always like, does this person even need to lose weight? Like, come on, should they intentionally try to lose weight? Maybe we should just focus on their fitness. But it's really hard to get people to stop focusing on the number on the scale and start focus. Like, if you focus on the number on the scale, you wouldn't be happy right now. You're freaking yeah. jacked now, despite being heavier than what you were when you're cycling. So, like, if we can implant whatever your <laughs> mindset is into most people, that would probably be a great thing to do. Yeah, but no, but like even me when I have done it like twice or th maybe three times. Yeah. Three times in the last five years, like a proper cut down to single digit body fat percentages on a DEXA scan. And then I get to this number 255 and I'm like, fuck, this is it. This is all the abs are visible. There's yeah. veins in my abdomen. And then it's just life sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just miserable to try to maintain that. And so then I get back up to where I am now and I'm like, I need to lose 20 pounds. Yeah. I'm fat, you know? So yeah, and you start maybe not the number on the scale, but the body composition. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So th that is, that is tough. So you start focusing on something else a little bit too. That I mean, this is where you start just trying to convince people like, Hey, the misery of trying to maintain, if it's a number on the scale, one thing, or if you switch them to a body composition mindset, but then they start focusing on what they looked at, that, that, like in your case, the body composition. Hey, you had some rippling abs, but you're kind of miserable right now. Right. Well, like, and, and yeah, no. And for me, like I have, I've just had to get okay with like, that's, that's not the life I want to live. Like, I, I you know. I know, I know that's within reach. It's really hard, but I know that's within reach. And like, I'm just happier day to day like this. And like this weight is so easily managed for me. Like the, yeah. the food noise is not omnipresent. Even when I go out of the country, I'll take food on the airplane with me, but I'm not landing and concerned like in, in Rome, like we got to go to the grocery store because I can't eat out, you know, yeah. that, that's not, that's no longer the case. That's great. You're, you have a you have a very good relationship with food right now. It sounds like compared to what it used to be. Yeah, and I think you understand the 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 balance between you know body composition, where you want to be, like where you'd love to be, versus where you feel happy and still okay with where you are. It sounds like it's it's. I think we all kind of struggle with that a little bit once we get into this kind of bodybuilding type of body composition mindset. But like, right? But it's this twenty pounds that. I don't even know that I, you know, like for me, the idea of like, well, should I do Ozempic to lose this 20 pounds because it will be easier and maybe I'll maintain it. I, I just don't think I would. And then I think like if, if there are those side effects where I'm, I'm suddenly going to be, at, uh, have an adverse effect to eating protein, then I'm going to be wasting lean tissue. Like to me, it's not worth it for those 20 pounds. I understand if you have 100, 200 pounds to lose. I completely get it. But I also think like if I, for 20 pounds, what happens when I go off of it? Or am I just then taking it for the rest of my yeah. life? You know? Yeah. And we, yeah. We don't know the answers to that. But I, I, I think like if you're not my patient, unless you want to be, we could sign you up to be my, but like, I'm, I'm just thinking about this from the outside, looking at you and what you've done. I, probably unless you were you were telling me i'm miserable the food noise is miserable and i'm fighting tooth and nail to keep me to where i am and if i gain more weight i will start developing 
hypertension, hyperlipidemia, uh, pre-diabetes, my liver won't be able to take it because it'll start getting fatty, all these different little things. Then I'd go, Hey, maybe we should consider this. Um, but you're not, you're not there clinically. I would say you're not, uh, someone I would, I would use this medicine in unless you were saying, I'm, I, I have had patients they've lost, you know, 200 or 100 to 200 pounds over the course of five years. And they've kept it off. It's, I feel like a dozen of these patients, some of them are fine. And some of them are starting to reach out. Like I am on a spiral. Like I am doing everything I can for some reason, the food noise is stronger and stronger and stronger. And in those pa- patients, I give them a little low dose and they're finally, like, ah, oh, now I can relax a little bit and not think about it. And, but you're not, it doesn't, I mean, I could be wrong. It doesn't sound like you're at that stage. So I agree with your assessment. Yeah. The food noise almost only exists for me now in an airport or on a plane. And and I have uh, anxiety at airports and on planes. Mm. And then I have anxiety mixed with boredom. And it's like a magical window for when I would overeat. Right now in my real life, I've got a structure where I just am not compelled to overeat and and I'm chilled out and I'm not stressed out. And like the food noise doesn't exist. That's amazing. The airport, That's a good place to be. Yeah. And the mitigation for that is I bring my own food and yeah. I don't, I don't eat other shit when I'm at a, a strategy. When I'm at a, yeah. I have a good strategy that seems to That's work. A good strategy. Yeah. That's a great strategy. And then every now and again, I am unable to like on the second half of the trip, like coming back when I've been in a hotel for a week and haven't had access to a grocery store and have been working at night and like, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going, Oh fuck, I didn't bring food. Then I just go, okay, today's a wash. Yeah. And and that's okay too. And you're not thinking I need to basically starve myself the next day. You just get, so that's, that's, that's one of the cycles people get on. Oh, I I was bad today. Now I'm going to restrict the next day. And then they go through this thing. So it's really good that you have this mindset to where it's like, it's okay. It's one day, one meal, whatever it is. Yeah. I'll get back to it the next day. That's strong. Cause some people, I'd say most people struggle with that. Yeah. No, I did for forever. No. Yeah. Yeah. If I have a structure that works, the minute that structure fails or I'm unable to uphold it, then everything goes out the window. But that's a that's a losing game for me, too. So I'm okay with fucking up for a day. I I don't go out of my way to make it the worst day ever. You know, I don't I don't get home after a day like that and order a pizza, which I might have used to have done because tomorrow I'm getting back on the horse. Yeah. I don't do that. I allow it to be what it is. I try not to overeat, but I'm not withholding anything. And then I get home and then I'm back into my structure. And that's, that's some s- strong work. That's yeah, some strong it work works. Right it, it took a long time to get to here, but I feel chilled out about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish everybody could do that because that that would that would be a game changer in itself. Totally. Totally. Dr. Nadolsky, this has been awesome. You're awesome. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for Weight Watchers. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. I'll be back as your co-host. I can't wait for the next one. See you later. See ya. And now for the Q&A. Today's question comes from Daniel. Hi, Daniel. He says, I'm on my third bout to losing over 250 pounds. So far, like you've shared with us so many times before, I've lost and gained over 700 pounds in the last decade. Fuck, dude. Sorry to hear that. Now that I'm on my final journey into losing weight, I was wondering what you would fundamentally say was your why behind your final trial of weight loss and how do you maintain that why 
daily. Thank you for the inspiration. Yeah, I understand the question. I think the why never changed. Um, the why was a, a big mixture of things. I wanted um, to have a relationship with my wife long into the future. I wanted to be active with my kids. I wanted to be more comfortable. I wanted to move more effortlessly through space and time. So my why never changed. I think that gaining and losing weight, the why never changed. It's just a matter of, you know, the discipline of doing it. And the fact that he's here, this is the third or the fourth time that he he's says, third, he's on his third time. So the fact that he's back for around three, he's de sounds very determined. And I would suspect his why is probably exactly the same or, you know, hasn't changed too radically from the first two. Whatever, you know, the first morning that you woke up and thought, like, I want to change this. Wh why did you want to change this? And is that still valid today? Because that never really went away for me. I think there's there's a difference. There's a couple factors here. There's like a difference between being determined to do something, having the discipline to see it through, and then having a plan for maintaining it. Because I was very determined to lose weight. I lost weight. I didn't have a plan. I gained weight. So I think the only thing that's different between me now and me day one 20 plus years ago when I started and, and, and lost weight and gained weight and lost weight and gained weight was that I'm a, a little bit more prepared for the future. First of all, I'm not expecting, I, I, I learned very quickly that uh, life was going to be very much the same with regard to how I felt mentally day to day, with how I thought of myself, with a lot of the things, a lot of the burdens that I felt were associated with my weight, they were still there. They never disappeared despite any amount of dieting. So I stopped expecting those to go away. And then I realized that just losing the weight is really like, you know, if you got a, a an intercontinental flight, just losing the weight is the runway before you take off. Hmm. And the rest of the flight is like, okay, well, if you don't have a plan for that, you're going to take off and crash, or you're going to get to the end of the runway and crash. How do you take off? And then once you're in the air, how do you fly? And then you got to fly for a long time. So what's the plan there? Because there's a plan for the diet, I assume, that if you're losing weight, the diet is working. Is it is it something that is sustainable so that you can get to where you want to get to? And then what do you do then? You know? It's, it's, I mean, those are really the questions I started asking myself. My why never changed. My why was my wife and my kids, my knees, my feet, the amount that I sweat, sitting in airplane seats, you know, walking up a flight of stairs, having to hold my breath all the time so people didn't hear me, worried that I was going to break furniture. Like those were all my whys. It was all a big ball of whys that none of that's changed. None of that ever changed. Uh, you know, I didn't lose my why when I was gaining weight. I, I just didn't have a plan that worked. So really, it's planning that I think has changed for me. That is amazing. And I just want to say as a side note, that's an amazing analogy of, you know, the runway. And then the flight is like, what are you doing next? So I, yeah. I, right. I mean, imagine that <clears throat> you're on a plane and you go like, I got to get to the end of the runway. And that's all you're fucking concentrating on. That's your, your, your 
tunnel vision to the end of the runway. But if you get to the end of the runway and you don't take off, like who gives a shit? You're still <laughs> in the same city. You're still yeah. in the same county. What is the point? Like we've done that. Let's fucking have a plan for how to take off and how to maintain flight. That to me is a more important structure to think about than the diet. Lots of diets work. You want to do keto? Fine. You'll probably lose some weight. You want to do paleo? You want to go run marathons to lose weight? Yeah, okay, you'll lose some weight. I, I don't know that any of those get you necessarily all the way if you got massive weight loss to lose to your goal, but you'll lose some weight. What happens when you lose the weight? What then? You don't mm -hmm. make a plan for that. You're fucked. Yeah. Every time you say it, it's it's correct. <laughs> um, that was yeah. my, this was my experience over and over and over again. I really can't tell you how sure I was that just losing weight would magically change me. It just never did. I'm still kind of disappointed that it didn't, you know, because like, <laughs> what the fuck? I get down to 200 pounds and I'm not just a new person. No, you're the same exact person. You just weigh less. If you continue to be the person you were, you're going to gain the weight back. Sorry, it's kind of that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Well, I hope that's helpful for Daniel. Daniel, let us know how it's going. If anyone else has a question that you'd like to hear Ethan's thoughts on, you can email it to us day or night at hello at americanglutton.net. 24 hour service here. You can email any time of the day. In fact, it's up to you when you email. So send them Bye. in. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>